Welcome to The Takeover. This is now, at least for today, Dad's in Baseball, and I'm not Diana. And I'm not Stephanie. And this is not a podcast about Game Changer, unfortunately, today, because we are taking over as the Dad's in Baseball, as the Moms in Baseball are on hiatus for the week. And so, while this takeover is not necessarily hostile, we do want to introduce ourselves. My name is Trevor. And I'm Patrick. I'll tell you what, Trevor. I certainly didn't see this becoming as as regular or consistent a thing as what they've turned into into. And, you know, I, I go to baseball practices now and I listen to guys talking about our wives interviewing the coach of one of the best teams in, in the nation. And um, it's it's kind of exciting to see what they've built here. It absolutely is. I mean, they take it very seriously. And I think it shows because, I mean, the production value is pretty dang good and uh, definitely enjoyable to listen to as well. Kudos to them. We're more than happy to fill in here to give them this little break, and uh, I know they're ready to get at it in the next couple weeks with some uh, exciting topics and uh, possibly even in uh, on-location recording. We'll have to see. What are we looking to explore today, Patrick? Today, you and I are going to have a conversation breaking down the ever-changing world of travel baseball. The way that travel ball has grown has led to some opportunistic things out there that we would really like to try to help and protect you from. You and I aren't experts, but we have spent a lot of time working with in our travel ball organization and as parents. And uh, we, we just like to share some of our, our knowledge that we've gained on the podcast here today. That's kind of our goal for today is to help clear the air on what travel ball is, what to look for, and some things to consider when looking for a team or making that switch from rec to travel or to another travel team. So we're going to talk about travel ball in three parts today. First part, uh, we're going to explain some of the differences between for-profit and non-profit organizations that we think that every parent should be aware of. After that, we're going to talk about specific travel teams you know, that we've come across. We kind of break it up into five different categories, and we feel if we can educate you on some of those things, you might be able to categorize a team in your area and decide if that's for you or not. And we're going to wrap up with a document that Trevor uses that is about questions that you should ask your travel ball coach. So let's get started with this idea of of the organizational side. Now, both Patrick and I are on the board for our travel organization and have been for some time. We really feel that from an organizational standpoint, there's kind of three different categories. And the first one we view as for-profit organizations. All right, this is an organization, and it can be a team or a group of teams as well, maybe not specifically an organization, that's run by a person, a business, uh, could be like a training facility or something like that, or a group who are making a living, you know, making money off of this team, the organization, or the training. Some of the benefits are they're usually focused on winning or development or both, and typically tied to a facility or a personality which guides that, right? They want to have a positive advertising aspect. You know, they want to put out a quality product because it is a brand or an advertising for that business or will help to pay the bills later on. They may have multiple teams to help pay those bills. And sometimes when what we have seen is they have a lot of teams in organization and a lot of those teams help pay the bills for a couple of their quote unquote darling teams, you know, the like will might be the high major teams or things like that that travel around. Uh you know, no judgment here with this model. It's it's not a bad model overall if people are dedicated and the focus remains on the kids and that it's, you know, the focus is on the training and the game and, and uh, but when it switches to about the money, that's when you got to watch out and you can usually feel that, you can usually sense that and that's usually when those organizations start to, you know, show some chinks in the armor. Trevor, I've always appreciated the for-profit model because the relationship is clear, right? So these, mm-hmm. these for-profit organizations are usually tried to, tied to a training center or a personality 
athlete, maybe a former minor major league player who's who's made a name for themselves in their local community as a trainer, and they've got other trainers signed up. And if your kid needs lessons to be a catcher, then those are available at this fee. Your kid wants to be at this level of, of team, um, that's available at another fee. And, and I just think that for a family that's looking for a very straightforward relationship with the organization that they're doing business with, because in, in a lot of instances, these are business transactions. There's there, there, there is a lot of, of non-business to baseball. Obviously, that's why we're, we're in this for our kids. But at the end of the day, there, there's, there's expenses. And, and if you want those relationships to be clear, then, you know, I think that these for-profit organizations certainly play a role in doing that. And, and of course, because of the financial motivation for the owners and the trainers, there's, there's, there's also a lot of incentive in order to provide more opportunities for, for players uh, when they do that. Yeah. If done right, I mean, this for-profit model works really well for exactly the things you're saying. And if not done well, then sometimes trust becomes an issue. When you're asked to do lessons, you, you say, is this really for the betterment of the kid or is this to put money in your pocket? Right. And that's, that's when it's, that's, that's when it gets a little sketchy perhaps, or you really start to question, but at its best, this is a, this is, this can be a really well done model with clear, concise expectations. Then of course, there are nonprofit travel ball organizations, which is something that Trevor and I know a little bit more about because the organization that we're a part of, and these are organizations that hopefully register themselves, you know, with their state um, and with the IRS as being a 501c3 nonprofit and have gone through the steps of filing the legal paperwork to be officially recognized as a nonprofit in order to get some of the tax benefits that are associated with that. So some of the specific things that can benefit a nonprofit travel baseball or softball organization is that these organizations have to report to government agencies and have bylaws and complete tracking and financial records and be more transparent with their with their finances. They're typically ran by a board of directors instead of just an individual person. Um, there's rarely anybody within the organization making any money, uh, let alone one person at the top making a ton. All of the money has to go back to the kids in some way, shape, or form. Uh, nothing that the organization can do can benefit the individuals at the top. Uh, usually these organizations are developmental simply because of the multiple teams at different levels and because it's mostly volunteer, there's a lot of more parents involved and and so therefore there's a there, there's a level of desire to be a part of a nonprofit travel ball organization just for the good of the cause, for example. You know, that you get some some community-minded folks that uh, want to help out and uh, and improve it for the good of the sport or for youth. So, you know, I, I don't know. What issues can you think of, Trevor, when you think of nonprofit travel ball organizations? You know, I got a couple issues, but I think we're, you know, we're missing one big thing with the benefits too, and that is fundraising can be a lot easier sometimes. You have these opportunities in, in the tax write-offs for businesses. So I know when we weren't nonprofit, we missed out on some pretty decent sized fundraising opportunities from local businesses who were looking for that tax write-off. So some of which we're now able to take advantage. With that, you know, like you like you identified the issues, you know, there's a lot of paperwork that you got to do to stay in good standing. You got to, you know, follow the rules and jump through the hoops. And the nonprofit organization is only as strong as those that are volunteering to keep it going. You know, sometimes when some of this stuff lacks, then all of a sudden you're no longer in good standing and you cease to be a nonprofit organization. It's definitely a responsibility, you know, and one that the organization has to take seriously. And if you see an organization that has been a nonprofit for an extended period of time, that in and of itself is a good thing, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in our region here, there are there are two organizations. You know, I can tell you the reason for that is simply because the burden on the on the paperwork, the compliance side, there's a lot involved in, in just keeping the wheels turning on that. 
And the third group is really the catch-all for, and I would say probably encompasses, I mean, at least what, 75% of organizations and travelable organizations you'll see, you know, and that's the standalone not-for-profit, not to be mistaken for the non-profit, which is indicating that you are identified as an IRS-sanctioned non-profit organization 501c3. Not-for-profit is usually, can be a team or a group of teams, volunteer-focused, that are no different in terms of their functioning from a nonprofit, putting all the money back to the kids. But at the same point, because of sometimes the lack of transparency, it can encompass any different type of teams that we'll talk about later. Teams that maybe don't have very good reputations, you know, and have uh, one team in their organization as a whole or groupings of large amounts of teams. There's usually a lot less legal stuff. I mean, a lot of times these standalone teams or standalone organizations, they're formed around a common desire to just focus on baseball, right? Or they're they're not overly heavily focused on the business side of it. Uh, nobody's looking to make money. Nobody's trying to, you know, make a, a bigger deal of this. Perhaps they're just renting some space in a field in order to to put their team together or or some batting cages, and and that's that's fine. Some of the issues with this though that can come up is that obviously a not for profit standalone team or organization can get themselves into some trouble when it comes to fundraising. If you're running illegal uh, raffles or uh, or different gambling events um, without having the appropriate license is only available to nonprofit organizations that can be a little bit sketchy if you're not comfortable doing those sorts of things you know and and also just in terms of keeping track of money one of the things that we try to do in our organization is to provide coaches uh, some banking services if you have a coach and the coach is putting all the team's money into their personal bank account uh, there's a lot of goodwill that has to be there um, and, and I particularly as a parent wouldn't want to trust that and so I think that um, you got to be on the lookout for these standalone organizations to say who's responsible for watching that money you know is there a treasurer is there a structure uh, what's that look like? Absolutely. I mean, by no means is our organization perfect and we're always trying to make it better. But when we tell parents that all the money goes into one bank account that is run by the board and it all has to go in there, there's that transparency aspect that makes people feel safe. Whereas I just wrote personal check for $300 to Jay Smith if Coach Jay Smith is your coach and you wrote that check to him, there's, like you said, goodwill. There's a lot of it that has to be there. You know, the fact is, is that the standalone not-for-profit organizations, they do tend to be the ones where we see these issues. Not that there's a ton of them, but that you hear about that from time to time where the money gets mismanaged and some kids get maybe not the experience that they were hoping for. Yeah, and I don't want to paint with a broad brush either. I feel like there are a lot of standalone organizations that that have it all figured out and manage the money well and um, they're, all that goodwill is built, but that goodwill has to be built through time together, right? I mean, people have got to get to know each other and trust where that goes. So, you know, having a nonprofit or a business model makes those relationships when it comes to the finances of travel ball a lot more clear. So definitely these standalone organizations, there's more good ones than bad ones for sure. For sure. Well, hey, let's transition our conversation a little bit and talk about the different types of travel teams that we've seen or organizations, right? I mean, these don't necessarily have to be big organizations, but they, they could just be teams that get formed that are closely related. I hate to say it, but this is a fun topic because we do sit around and talk about this. Where, you know, in, in you, you put teams into these categories and you have to kind of ask yourself, where are we at these at different times too? Sure. I'm going to start at the most competitive uh, level that we identified, a group of teams or organizations that we 
we call the high achievers. Common characteristics of these types of teams are teams that play at or frequently above their level um, in order to have the challenge. They're constantly looking for tournaments that have strict tournament rules and different players on the team have their own roles. In most of these um, highly competitive, high achieving teams, uh, they're batting nine in the lineup. Even at the younger ages, uh, there are players on the team that are pitcher only. Typically, as the kids get older, you'll start to see more and more of these high achiever teams. But there are some organizations and some teams that even run at this competitive level at the younger age. There's not any commitment on these high achieving teams for equal playing time. And the coaches in the organization are looking for the best competition at all times. You know, Diane and Stephanie interviewed Lali Escoval, and, and he's the perfect example of this. And as he said, you know, you got to be a certain amount of crazy to sign up for his team. And so if you're going to if you're looking at a team like this, you know, you have to have a child who's highly competitive. I think that's more important than if you're highly competitive, that you want your kids to play the best of the best, that you see your kid maybe outperforming on other teams that they are on and want them to continually strive to be better. And um that you're up for a little bit further travel to play the best teams. I think that you need to stay away from a team like this. If you're the type of parent that is a bit more concerned about your kid's development or is worried that that maybe your kid's not ready for that level of competition on the team, maybe you want the type of competition between teams, but you're looking for something um, on the team that will ensure your your child gets more time on the field or more at-bats. I think that in these types of teams, you can tend to find more frustrated parents. There's a lot of opportunity on highly competitive teams for infighting, and possibly not all of the players or the parents are committed to the goals and the outcomes of the team. And if the coach isn't really clear about the expectations at the outset of what this is going to look like, you can have a lot of turnover on these types of teams. So while I certainly recommend this type of team for kids that are playing at the absolute top for their age level, if that's a good match for the family and it's what the family's after, there's certainly a lot of reasons for some families to not want their kid be on this. Uh, budgets tend to be a lot higher. Travel tends to be a lot further. And so stay away if you're not interested in investing in the private lessons, the travel time, uh, the competitive play. It's definitely a commitment. And I know, you know, in, in developing this list, this is a level team that we see it can be a, a benefit for some people. It's not one that we're against if done right. It's just got to be done right. You know, and I think going back to Lolly's interview, you know, he's someone that seems like he's doing it right. And most of the people on there, are, they understand what they're getting into. It also helps when all the bills are paid, right? That's absolutely right. So uh, <laughs> the next type of team. Yeah, so the trophy hunters. We're not as fond of these ones per se. So the common characteristics here is they tend to maybe play more below their level in order to win. A lot of the things might be similar to above. It might only bat nine. They may have unequal playing time. They may play the tournament rules pretty strictly, you know, uh, like I said, batting nine instead of doing that rocket batting order. But there's more focus on winning than anything. And uh, usually you can see that with the coaches pretty early on in just in terms of how they coach. We think it's a good idea to sign your kid up for a team like this if you are looking for, for the win. If you're looking for your kid to be on a team so that they build confidence, uh, so that they get surrounded with other good players in a winning atmosphere. These aren't slouch teams typically, so I, I think that if that's what you're after as a parent for your, your kid in, in ball, then that's a team to sign up for. Uh, you are going to want to stay away from these teams if you want your kid to play top competition, and you have to recognize that on a team like this, growth is going to be limited because you don't necessarily get 
get better without playing better competition. There's also the possibility of issues in the organization or with coaches when there's focusing on winning and trophies are what really matters. Because of this, the big picture is is more about that. And then when it's all said and done, the growth or the development may not be what you're looking for. You know, in the, in the teams we've seen that have done this, turnover tends to be pretty limited because people like to win. If that's the philosophy of the team, then they kind of stay together to go keep winning and they have fun doing it. And, you know, like Patrick said, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just for very specific people. I think back to when, when my son joined joined the current team that he's on with your son, right? I mean, your son was on this team as an 8U player. They went and played the best to be the best, very highly competitive team, and they, they struggled a bit as 8-year-olds, right, in, in travel baseball. And so that 9U year when my son joined the team, you guys were looking for more local competition, something that could build that confidence, and, and we won a ton, right? And so then the next year, we knew what we had in terms of, you know, the group of boys that were playing on the team, so we went looking for more competition. You know, I think had, had we continue to stay in the area and you know beat the same teams that we beat the year before over and over again then it would have been a good sign for me to take my son and you know go find another team but you know fortunately we we adapted and we changed and we we went looking for more competition so i think for parents that are looking at their son's ball experience got to you got to look at those long term trends and what's the team doing in order to identify those trophy hunter teams absolutely absolutely so the next level are the developers and i have a ton of respect for these teams probably some of my favorite teams in this whole list, actually. The development teams, their common characteristics are development first. They play where they play. They go, it might be local, it might not be. If they win, they win. If not, that's totally okay, too. You usually see those coaches afterwards talking about what did we learn. You know, hey, that was a good team. They really stuck it to us. What can we take from that? Usually these teams are batting all their kids, equalish playing time, except maybe for consequences. And the big one that I tend to see with these teams is kids in different positions getting a variety of different opportunities, something that I'm pretty big on in terms of developing baseball players and not just shortstops or third basemen. Overall, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Patrick, Patrick, but typically a much more chill family atmosphere, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Because the focus is on development, you tend to get a vibe from the families that they're more growth minded, right? They're thinking about every player on the field is, is growing and developing and changing versus being the absolute best at their position at every every minute. It's about that growth that, that people are interested in. I think this is a great team, Trevor, if, if, if you consider your kid in need of that sort of development, which honestly is, is most kids. If you value development and skill over winning at all costs or facing the best competition, then I, I don't think you can go wrong in many ways with a developmentally focused organization. As well as just de- developing a love for the game. Rarely do you see kids hating the game here or you know a lot of those emotional ups and downs. And that, and that could be a disservice too, but fostering a love of the game is always important to me. So yeah, no, I, I agree with you. These teams are, turnover tends to be lower, which is, which is always good. The turnover that does tend to happen tends to be on the feeder level. And uh, we see this all the time where usually the best kid on that team gets asked by other teams to come play for them and then all of a sudden they lose that kid and they're always trying to fill in the spots and so uh, we see that quite a bit with uh, some of our teams down south where you know I got some organizations that I, I love what they do and when I call the coaches they're like yeah lost one more lost two more and you know it's kind of sad but it is part of the deal right usually the only parent issues you see is when a parent wants to win more uh, that's about the only parent issue you do tend 
to see. And if you realize that your kid is a bit better than the pack and not from just the parent point of view, but there's other evidence to support that, this may limit their ability to develop on their own. And so the focus on the team as a whole might not be perfect for you, even though I think there's a really good spot for that for each kid because teaching is a way to learn as well. Sure. And I, I think there's two responses to that, right? I mean, if your kid's on a developmental team and you think that the focus of that coach or the organization is is on, you know, the middle of the pack kind of kid and your kid's really excelling and going beyond, then as a parent, I, I think it's perfectly legitimate to start questioning whether or not that team is the right team for your kid. But there's two directions to take that, right? I mean, there's the direction of, you know, finding a more highly competitive team, something, you know, something more like a, a Texas Cane sort of, <laughs> sort of team for your kid or, you know, something we'll talk about here in a little bit, which is, you know, separating your kid off and, you know, going and doing your own thing. But uh, there is another type of, of team that we've seen a lot of, Trevor, that I want to talk about, and that is the what we've called the socialite team. The, these are teams that are usually put together around a group of friends for the sake of socializing or hanging out or vacationing together. This sometimes seems like on these teams when you're uh, around them that baseball is actually second to the after party or the social adventure. I think that if you're looking at a team that might be like this or you're hearing a team in your area might be signing up, the strong social scene can be fun. I mean, kids hanging out with kids from their school during the summer when maybe they're not around that much can be a really great thing. And having a strong connection to parents on a team that are from your area, you know, there's there's definitely positives to that. The experience of travel ball is a very big part of this. And, and if you want to have a good experience, there's nothing wrong with that. But if, you know, as you've talked about, Trevor, you're interested in that development or as we talked about earlier, the competition for your kid, realize that there's not a ton of turnover typically on these teams. And, and if you're on the outer circle of that social group, it can be hurtful sometimes, right? I mean, it can be hard to break that circle too if you're an outsider who's trying to get into to travel ball for the first time. When there is turnover, it tends to be people that are leaving because they're angry or bitter or not a part of the circle. And so just, just always be wary and stay away from these social teams if you're more developmentally minded or you're not a part of that, that inner circle. And that's just, so, I mean, that's just general social stuff. I mean, they're not even trying to do it on purpose, but when you know seven of the parents for the past seven years because you basically all had babies together, you know, that's going to be a lot different than someone you just met this year. It's really hard to include them and it's just natural. It's just what we naturally do. So it's not out of spite. It's just kind of what happens, right? Absolutely. And our favorite, the one we joke about the most, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, sure. So let's say that your kid's on a developmental team and you feel like your kid's skill level is above the rest of the team, but maybe your kid isn't playing in the position that you think that they should be playing at or that their skill level is a little higher. What are you going to do? Listen, Coach Patrick, I'm sick of this. My kid's a shortstop. And so I'm going to go start a team and we're going to see you next year. Ah, so, so my kid's a shortstop team. <laughs> what's that going to look like? <laughs> so the common characteristics of this is usually they're a standalone team. It tends to happen with an unhappy parent who thinks that they can do it better. And let me be frank here, maybe they can. But it generally leads to a certain unhappiness and someone says, you know, I'm going to take matters into my own hand and we're going to create a situation that will benefit my kid. That is just an unfortunate way to start a team if you're going that way because it just is setting it up for some other things that are going to happen almost guaranteed. When Trevor and I were talking about this type of team, um, and we were trying to talk about what, were, what are the positives of signing 
signing your kid up for one of these teams. Uh, the only reason I could come up with was <laughs> if your kid was that shortstop. If you're one of the parents of the kids that left that team, then there's a ton of upside, right? Because if you were a parent of a kid on another team and then you decide to pull your kid from that team to start a new team, let's say you're probably going to coach it, then it's all upside because you can play your kid in the field wherever you want. Of course, the downside of that, if you want to join that team, there's a high probability of daddy ball or other political influences getting in the way. Uh, there's also a possibility that that team may not be around as long because it was formed under false pretense. And let me tell you guys, if you want to be annoyed, buy a different color helmet three years in a row, a different color bag three years in a row, and brand new jerseys three years in a row. One of the benefits about being in an organization is, is maybe you don't have to get a new helmet all the time. So with the probability of a team only being in year in existence for one year, there's a huge financial component to that that is scary because maybe this person bit off more than they could chew. All right, let's change gears just slightly, Trevor, and talk a little bit about this 42 questions document that you give out to your parents. This comes from a, a blog post back in 2017, and uh, you saw it, and I know some other coaches with an organization saw this, and, and you actually made your own version of this. You call it 42 questions to ask your travel coach, and as part of your team meeting at the start of every year, you actually give a copy of this. Oh, no, I think you give it out tryouts, don't you? Yeah, so for, for people that are listening here, it's great that we can break down these five teams, but it really comes down to how do you know which one it is? I mean, we're talking about people that might be are just starting down this this path of travel ball and ignorance is something that we all were at. At some point, we were ignorant about what's going on. I know Stephanie's had some humorous discussions about her going to the first meeting with your son and holy cow, what's going on? These people are crazy. And, you know, there's a lot to learn. And so if you're new, one of the things that we feel is important is, is that the tryout isn't us interviewing you. It's you interviewing us. Like we're going to be who we're going to be. And we want you to know who we are before we get started so that there's no surprises halfway through the season. We can go back. And the best way to do that is when I saw this on this thing on travel ball parents, um, Brian and I said, let's answer these. Let's literally answer these for them. We're going to answer questions they don't even know that they want to ask. And so let's answer them for them. And we've done that every year. This is going to be in the show notes. So if you go to the show notes, guys, you're going to see this, uh, this link there. And it's, it has no author that we can tell, but it is 42 questions that will help you figure out which of the five teams the team in front of you is and what the organization is. Is it nonprofit? Is it for profit? And, and help you make the decisions that you need to find the best spot for your family and for your child. It's asking questions about transparency. Do you have a budget? What does a budget look like? It's all this ideas about clarity and goals and direction. There's even a question on there. What happens if there's an injury and you bring on a new player? Something that has broken up more than a couple teams that we've heard of. Here's some more examples. So you've already listed off a couple, Trevor, of the type of questions that are on this uh, on this list. Are the coaches also parents of kids on the team? Sometimes that's very evident. You go to the tryout and the coach says, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the parent of uh, number 15 out there on the field. Uh, does the coaching staff display signs of good sportsmanship? Asking the coach, you know, what is your philosophy on the game of baseball and treatment of other teams? I, I think that the more transparent that a coach can be at the outset, the better able the parent is to make a decision about whether or not their kid should be on that team. And I think that it's in the best interest of every parent if the team isn't as transparent as maybe they'd like to ask some of these questions and to look at them and to, and to dig in. If we identify our ourselves as a little bit more along the lines of a highly achieving team, that might not be for everybody, right? And they want to be part of a developing team and they need to know that. And I want to let them know that's our, that's what we are versus maybe what some others are. So it's, it's transparency, right? I mean, the more transparent a team is, 
generally you got a good one in front of you. It's just whether or not it's a good fit. We've talked about this at length, Trevor. Some teams bat the whole lineup. Some teams only bat nine. There's no right, wrong about that in particular. But what is right or wrong is if you are not up front with your parents before they ever sign up for the team about which one of those you're going to be, right? If parents sign their kid up for a team and they think that you're going to bat all 11, all 12 kids, and then suddenly you get to a tough tournament and it's Sunday and there's only nine kids in that lineup, I'm telling you, you're going to have issues, right? And so, you know, I've been I've been talking about this, you know, at length in our organization for a long time is just be transparent with your parents about playing time, about guest players, about budget and money. Please budget and money, be transparent about and be as clear as possible in your communication so that you can keep everything else about baseball and the kid. There's no reason a highly achieving team can't keep it about the kids. There's no reason any of the other teams that we mentioned can't do that as well. Absolutely. There's just, you know, there's just different flavors of, of the same game and it's a great game. So, I mean, as we conclude here, all in all, for the parents that are listening that are thinking about maybe making that step over or or looking at changing, ask yourself, you know, when you're with these teams, what are you paying for? Sit down with your family and ask yourselves, what are we looking for? Talk to your child and say, what do you want to do? I don't know. How many times have we seen kids out there doing stuff that was really what their parents wanted, Patrick, right? I mean, yeah. they, they stand out on a baseball field pretty easily. That's not fun. So ask them what they want. What are you looking for and what's your long-term plan? Because if your long-term plan is to make a baseball fan, developmental might be great. If your long-term plan is to see your kid play in college, then that's going to take a different tact. I don't know about you, but I'm excited that Stephanie and Diana gave us the opportunity to do this today. Really appreciate everybody giving us a listen. Hopefully we get a chance to do something like this again because it's been fun, Trevor. It has been fun, especially since it was our idea so many years ago. We just didn't do it, right? <laughs> That's right. And they took it. They stole it from us. I will <laughs> say, though, guys, I know you may have heard Diana and Stephanie talk about this, but we're going to talk about it from the male point of view. Listen, get your wife a mombi. They will literally love you forever for doing it. Listen, they're pricey. I know this, but I and I couldn't believe I spent the money on that, <laughs> but it's been one of the best things I've ever bought her. I don't know. What do you say, Patrick? No, it's uh, December 9th. I, I don't know anything about the, the shipping timelines for mommy. But if you can get one for your spouse for the holidays, then then do so. And when you go to Mambi, M-A-M-B-E, make sure you put in the discount code Moms in Baseball. Will there be a kickback to Diane and Stephanie? Yeah, but they, man, do they deserve it because they've been working hard in all of his volunteer time. And, you know, a little something coming their way isn't going to be the worst thing in the world. But most of all, you're going to be the dad of the year or the husband of the year by getting this thing. And it won't be right away. It'll be at the at the early spring baseball game or the early spring soccer game when they're dry and they're warm and they come up to you and said, thank you. All right, how do we end this? I think we say goodbye. And we'll see you next time. See, Take care, everybody. No, I think it, see you at the fields. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I forget how they... I, they they do it way better than us. We might have to just cut and paste it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right, see you guys. Thank you.